0: suspect listeners I am back um I know it's been like a month and a half and for that I am so sorry um hold on let me fix the volume on my mic here it's a little loud yeah so it's been like a month and a half since I last spoke to you guys and I am so sorry for that I just honestly needed like A little bit of a break like a not even from the podcast but just from everything so for like the last month and a half after Christmas I just really haven't been doing much to be honest with you I've just been like relaxing and like sleeping and like just trying to like focus and like figure out my goals and like organize them and analyze them and yeah I don't know so I took a little break after Christmas and you know, we brought in the new year. So happy new year to all of you. I did not get the chance to say that. I know it's very late, but I hope everybody had a great new year. I hope that you spent it with the people that you loved and just had a great time. Um, I don't really remember what I did on new years. I don't think I did much. (laughs) I really don't. I probably just like drank and like chilled at home. Um, that's my vibe nowadays. I also celebrated a birthday since I've been gone. My birthday was on the 7th, so about five days ago now. Um, And yeah, I brought in 25 just with some friends and family and just really enjoyed that time that weekend. Um, Yeah, being 25, I don't know, it doesn't really feel different, you know, like you just feel like you're a year older and you have more wisdom and maybe you react to a lot less stuff than you did a year or two ago. Um, But I really enjoyed my weekend and you know the people that I love really ride for me and I appreciate that. So yeah we're back and it is currently the 12th. So a day before the Super Bowl and the next Euphoria episode and two days before Valentine's and here we are. Happy Black History Month to everybody listening. We are going to be doing some stories and some cases that revolve around that just so that we can all learn and educate ourselves maybe on some stories that we haven't heard before, some names that we haven't heard before that actually are really important to our history. So make sure you stay tuned for those. I am going to be trying to push out multiple episodes over the next few days just to kind of give you guys some new content just to kind of give you guys some new content to listen to I want to make sure that we have multiple stories that we're discussing this month not just one or two you know I want to do multiple of those stories so again make sure you guys are looking out for that but yeah um, again I hope everybody had a really great New Year's wrapped up the holidays, feeling really good. We're moving into the new year now. I hope that we've all set our goals, maybe things that we want to work on for this year. Um, I don't know if people are still doing new year's resolutions. I don't really know. Cause I feel like, I don't know. Some people, I, you see some people post about it and then some people like think it's lame, but I do think that, like, it's kind of cool to, like, at the end of the year say, okay, this is what I want to accomplish this year. This is what I want to work on. And it doesn't have to be anything corny like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym every day this year. Or, you know how people do that. They, like, say they're going to go to the gym and then they go for, like, a month and then they just, like, stop going for the rest of the year. That's just one example. But it doesn't have to be anything like that. Like, it can actually be, like something to you that's, like, realistic or something that, you know, you've already started working on and maybe you just want to finish accomplishing, like, whatever the case is. So I just wrote down a couple of things that I personally want to work for. And I think for me it's cool to be able to, like, discuss them on the podcast because I have an entire audience and you guys will be able to tell me at the end of the year if you think I accomplished that or not. I don't know. So, um but, yeah, I don't know. I just really – think you know even if they're not big things like oh buying a car buying a house it doesn't have to be anything like that just like for me personally like I wrote down I want to be slower to react like when I'm in conversation I have a really bad habit of like if somebody says something that even like slightly triggers me or like makes me upset or makes me question their intention on like what they're saying or doing I instantly react to that Like it's either all over my face or you can hear it in my tone of voice or I'll just straight up say something. So I've learned that like sometimes, you know, that's not always the best because sometimes people aren't saying stuff to like get a reaction out of you or they don't have any bad intent behind it. They just like maybe don't know you very well. So they like don't really know how to speak to you. So that's something personally that I want to work on. Like I just want to be slower to react, like take a second think about what they said for like 10 seconds and then if I'm still feeling some kind of way maybe I'll have you know not so much of a reaction for them but just so what what do you mean by that (laughs) what do you mean by that um and I did write down that I want to have like a healthier lifestyle and I'm not talking like I'm not going to be corny and say oh I want to go to the gym every day or I just only want to eat salads and um grilled chicken no I'm not saying that but I do think that I want to have a healthier lifestyle, like make sure that I am like incorporating like better foods like into my daily eating habits, you know, going to the gym at least a couple times a week, like just doing the basics because you guys, when people talk about going to the gym, like you can do that if you want. You can go and have this insane like hardcore like workout schedule or you can just do something basic and make sure you're staying toned and you're eating like better than you used to, you know, you're not eating McDonald's every day, so that's my that's another one of my goals. Um, And then my last one is I really just want to focus on the podcast a lot this year. Um, I always say that and I've done a lot better with focusing and making sure I'm sitting down and like giving you guys my energy. I've explained to you guys before that it's like this podcast is literally my baby, right? Like I love this podcast. I came up with the idea for it I built it everything that's been put into this podcast is solely because of me right solely because of Katie and I love that for myself but it does take energy out of you you know like when you're doing these cases and you're just like reading all this fucking heartbreaking shit like especially if you're somebody that is just like very in tune with like other people's emotions or you feel very deeply for other people like and that's me all day right like I was watching um There's these people I watch on YouTube. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but they're all deaf digital. And there's a guy on there. His name is Tony Baker. And he recently, like, lost one of his sons in a car accident. So he hasn't really done anything, obviously, like, since that has happened. Obviously, he lost his son. He was, like, 18 or 19. He wasn't very old. So I was watching something the other day, and he was doing a comedy skit, like, for the first time since his son died. And I just fucking... Started crying, like not because anything was sad, but just because it was like, Wow, like this is somebody I watch, and like I feel very deeply for people. Like, if I'm reading anything on them, or I like interacted with them at all, or like, like know anything about them at all, is what I'm saying. Like, I feel very deeply for them. So, my whole point in saying all of that my rambling, um, by the way, I'm drinking tequila, so that is why I'm rambling, but. My point in saying all that is that when I'm reading these cases, like, I really feel for these people, like, even when I'm taking these notes and, like, writing down this information for you guys, like, sometimes I'll cry taking notes because I'm just like, I cannot believe that fucking happened. Like, I cannot believe, one, that happened, two, the justice system handled this completely inappropriately and, like, had no fucking remorse for the victim or the family, all the way down like to the way it was ended i don't know so that is my point in saying that i love this podcast it is my baby but i do um i have to have more of like a precise schedule because i will just get on here and cry like if i just like do notes and like get on here because that's my, that's my problem. I would love to like just do notes and then like get on and record right after I do notes, but doing the notes, I'm already crying. So I think I would just get on here and be like crying, like talking through this to you guys. So (laughs) I don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, so we're back from the break. I'm going to try to push out, um, a couple episodes over the next few days. And be more consistent when this be more consistent with the schedule this year. I appreciate all of you guys so much for continuing to come back and listen for interacting with the Instagram. Last month, you guys gave me the most streams um, specifically on Spotify because that's where my ads are. So if you're able to listen on Spotify, slide on over to there. Really appreciate you. But yeah, last month you guys blew up the streams on Spotify and I had the most revenue come in from Spotify ads than I have since I started the podcast almost two years ago. So thank you to everyone listening, but to those of you on Spotify, (laughs) shout out to you guys. Shout out to you this episode. Um. But, yeah, I have a lot of things planned for the podcast, you know, and if you're listening, like, please, again, share this, fr- like, share this podcast with a friend, a family member on your social media. Even if it's only one episode, like, every share helps so much, and it sends somebody here to listen, sends somebody here to be educated, to learn, whatever the case is. Wherever you're here, whenever you share something, another person is coming for that exact same reason, and the audience has just grown so much over the last two years and I want to keep that going like I have so many plans and goals and things I want to do with suspect and like branching off a suspect and it all starts with you guys listening and I'm just so thankful I don't know I'm corny I'm so thankful I'm 25 and feeling blessed and thankful like uh, I love you guys so yeah thank you to everybody listening So, before we jump into the case this week, I just want to talk. I'm sure most of you listening, if not at least a good percentage of you, watch Euphoria. Are you guys just fucking baffled by this season? Like, season one was good, right? Like, they got us hooked. They were like, okay, here's season one. They'll definitely come back for more after this. But season two, fucking phenomenal. The acting, the scripts, like the shots like all of it just so creative and Zendaya is oh I mean we already knew she was incredible right we already fucking knew but especially in episode five the last episode fucking incredible like give that girl her Emmy right fucking now we don't even need to wait give it to her now give her multiple for that entire fucking episode just an absolute like fantastic fucking actress like Beautiful actress. Like, oh, God, I can't even. If you haven't seen it, definitely go watch it. It's so good. I've seen a lot of people talking on social media saying they're not watching the Super Bowl. They're watching Euphoria. But, bitch, I'm watching both, okay? You get the best of both worlds over here. We're watching the Super Bowl at 430. Then we're going to click over to Euphoria at whatever time. It comes out, what, like 9? eastern that's seven for me so after the super bowl and i'll stay off of social media so none of you little bitches spoil it for me i can't deal with that you literally get on social media like 20 minutes after the episode drops and everybody's fucking talking about it and spoiling shit like on tiktok twitter instagram facebook so i stay off the socials until i watch it which will be after the super bowl which tomorrow for the super bowl Go Rams. Go Rams. I don't really care who wins, I guess, because they're both like pretty cool quarterbacks, pretty decent teams, but I'm going for the Rams. We're going for Von Miller, OBJ, um, all of them. I love the Rams. Love them. So that's who we're going for tomorrow. We'll see who wins. I don't know. I mean, I'm most excited for the Super Bowl commercials, though, to be honest with you. I think we're going to in the halftime show, bitches, the halftime show. I think we're going to have some great commercials, but the halftime show is going to be fucking lit they did that for the 90s babies they were like okay we got y'all check this out 2022 halftime show for the 90s babies love that love that okay so the case that we're going to be discussing this week um if you've seen the movie just mercy with michael b jordan and jamie fox then you're probably familiar at least to the movie extent with the case um, but we're going to be talking about Walter McMillan, who was a black man that was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime that he did not commit back in Alabama. So, yeah, we're going to be doing though that case today. Um, it's so heartbreaking. If you've seen the movie, I sobbed through the entire fucking movie. I have the book as well. I found the book and like, one of those little free book bin things, you know, that people have in front of their houses. Um, immediately snatched that. But yeah, read the book um, and the book is just, I mean, the movie is incredible, but the book is amazing. The book is written by Brian Stevenson, who was the actual lawyer for Walter McMillan during his trial. So if you haven't seen the movie, go watch the movie. If you haven't read the book, I really, really highly recommend it. It's not just his story. He's talking about other cases that he worked on, other wrongful incarceration cases, But also he's giving statistics. Like he was saying basically that he didn't really know how he felt about the death penalty before he stepped into it. And after serving these people and working with, you know, these victims that are wrongfully incarcerated and sent to death row, his entire perspective changed. And it is just such an incredible fucking book. I cried. Again, I just like to cry apparently. (laughs) But I cried multiple times reading the book just like – just feeling so deeply for these people and for this lawyer that, you know, like I had to feel for these people as well, but, you know, take on all of this and try to fight for them and like their families and like, oh, just an incredible, incredible book, an incredible man, an incredible lawyer. Um, and he's done so much, you know, for people that have been wrongfully incarcerated, especially people that have been sent to death row. So Yeah, I highly recommend his book, and I highly recommend watching that movie because the acting in it is just, once again, phenomenal. So make sure you guys check those out. Okay, so before we do jump into the case today, I wanted to just read some stuff from the Just Mercy book to give you guys an idea, one of just how amazing Bryan Stevenson is, but how great the book is. Um, So we are going to read some stuff. From Just Mercy, and then we're going to go ahead and jump into the case. So it starts, well, this isn't the introduction part of the book, but I just highlighted some specific things that I wanted to share with you guys from the book. So it starts with, this book is about getting closer to mass incarceration and extreme punishment in America. It is about how easily we condemn people in this country and the injustice we create when we allow fear anger and distance to shape the way we treat the most vulnerable among us. It's also about a dramatic period in our recent history, a period that marks the lives of millions of Americans, of all races, ages, and sexes, and the American psych as a whole. When I first went to death row in December 1983, America was in the early stages of a radical transformation that would turn us into an unprecedentedly harsh and punitive nation, and result in mass imprisonment that had no historical parallel. Today, we have the highest rate of incarceration in the world. The prison population has increased from 300,000 people in the early 1970s to 2.3 million people today. There are nearly 6 million people on probation or on parole. One in every 15 people born in the United States in 2001 is expected to go to jail or prison. One in every three black male babies born in this century is expected to be incarcerated. We have shot, hanged, gas, electrocuted, and lethally injected hundreds of people to carry out legally sanctioned executions. Thousands more await their execution on death row. Some states have no minimum age for prosecuting children as adults. We've sent a quarter of a million kids to adult jails and prisons to serve long prison terms some under the age of 12. For years, we've been the only country in the world that condemns children to life imprisonment without parole. Nearly 3,000 juveniles have been sentenced to die in prison. Hundreds of thousands of nonviolent offenders have been forced to spend decades in prisons. We've created laws that make writing a bad check or committing a petty theft or minor property crime and offense that can result in life imprisonment. We have declared a costly war on people with substance abuse problems. There are more than half a million people in state or federal prisons for drug offenses today, up from just 41,000 in 1980. We have abolished parole in many states. We have invented slogans like three strikes and you're out to communicate our toughness. We have given up on rehabilitation, education, and services for the imprisoned because providing assistance to the incarcerated is apparently too kind and compassionate. We've institutionalized policies that reduce people to their worst acts and permanently label them criminal, murderer, rapist, thief, or drug dealer. Identities they cannot change regardless of the circumstances of their crimes or any improvements that they might make in their lives. The collateral consequences of mass incarceration have been equally profound. We ban poor women and inevitably their children from receiving food stamps and public housing if they have a prior drug conviction. We have created a new system that forces thousands of people into homelessness, bans them from living with their families and in their communities, and renders them virtually unemployable. Some states permanently strip people with criminal convictions of their right to vote. As a result, in several southern states, disenfranchisement among African-American men has reached levels unseen since before the Voting Rights Act of 1965. We also make terrible mistakes. Scores of innocent people have been exonerated after being sentenced to death and nearly executed. Hundreds more have been released after being proved innocent of non-capital crimes through DNA testing. Presumptions of guilt? poverty, racial bias, and a host of other social, structural, and political dynamics have created a system that is defined by error, a system in which thousands of innocent people now suffer in prison. Finally, we spend a lot of money. Spending on jails and prisons by state and federal governments has risen from $6.9 billion in 1980 to nearly $80 billion today. Private prison builders and prison service companies have spent millions of dollars to to persuade state and local governments to create new crimes, impose harsher sentences, and keep more people locked up so that they can earn more profits. Private profit has corrupted incentives to improve public safety, reduce the cost of mass incarceration, and most significantly promote rehabilitation of the incarcerated. State governments have been forced to shift funds from public services, education, health, and welfare to pay for incarceration. And now they face unprecedented economic crises as a result. Um, So, yeah, just, I mean, that was like a page and a half, like, of the introduction. Like, just that is so much knowledge and so much passion with what he's speaking for. Like, I highlighted all of that. I was like, wow, fuck, that's like... Literally like page 15 of the introduction. So um, go back and listen to that over again. If already you're listening to this and you don't understand where we're going with the purpose or the knowledge that we're going to be talking about in this episode, go back and listen again. Um, Another thing that I do want to read from him. Hold on. Okay, here we go. Okay, so another thing that I highlighted. He says, proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including this vital lesson. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. My work with the poor and the incarcerated has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Finally, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, the character of our society, our commitment to the rule of law, fairness, and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged and the respected among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. We are all implicated when we allow other people to be mistreated. An absence of compassion can corrupt the decency of a community, a state, a nation. Fear and anger can make us vindictive and abusive, unjust and unfair. Until we all suffer from the absence of mercy when we condemn ourselves as much as we victimize others. The closer we get to mass incarceration and extreme levels of punishment, the more I believe it's necessary to recognize that we all need mercy, we all need justice, and perhaps we all need some measure of unmerited grace. Whew, yeah, so that's just the introduction. It's just a fantastic book. Um Brian Stevenson, obviously, is very intelligent. He is a lawyer, but he is just very good with his words and really just breaks down, like, these cases and the mass incarceration and things that he's seen and different perspectives, and it's just, like, I really recommend it, so... Um, again, that was from Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption by Brian Stevenson. And on the front of the book, it says every bit as moving as to kill a mockingbird. And in some ways, more so a stirring testament that fighting for the vulnerable sometimes yields. So yeah, go check that out. Check out the movie and let me know what you guys think about both. Um, I would read the book before the movie, but you know, do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and hop into this case. Um, I'm going to be citing... Oh, hold on one second. Shit. Okay, so the information that I'm going to be citing from today, um, my notes is from a combination of sources. We have the Just Mercy book by Brian Stevenson. We have the Wikipedia article on Walter McMillan, and there's also an article on EJI.org titled Walter McMillan Equal Justice Initiative which is another article that I cited from so if you want to check out any of those articles all of this information is there you will be able to go and read that for yourself so all right so just to give you a little bit of a background on Mr. Walter McMillan he was born on October 27th 1941 they call him Johnny D that's kind of like the nickname you know his friends and families have for him He was a black man, and he was a pulpwood worker from Monroe, Alabama, and he was wrongfully convicted of murder and sentenced to death. His conviction was wrongfully obtained police corruption and perjury. In the 1988 trial, under a controversial doctrine called judicial override, the judge imposed the death penalty, even though the jury imposed a sentence of life imprisonment. So from 1990 to 1993, the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals turned down four appeals. In 1993, after Mr. Walter had served six years on Alabama's death row, the Court of Criminal Appeals reversed the lower court decision and ruled that he had been wrongfully convicted. So this controversial case obviously receives national attention, and that begins in the fall of 1992, when it was featured in the CBS news program 60 Minutes. Two books have been written on this case, including the book that I was just discussing with you guys that I read from, Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson, which was adapted into a feature film of the same name in which Jamie Foxx portrays Macmillan. So Walter McMillan, like I mentioned, he was born October 27, 1941. He lived um, in a black community near Monroe, Alabama. Monroe County was described by the Guardian as a remote, dirt-poor region, basically with nothing but pine trees and bean farms. There wasn't much there at all. So Walter had purchased a logging and a paper mill equipment, and he becomes a moderately successful businessman for that time. He was described by the New Yorker as a black pulpwood work worker. He was married to Minnie McMillan for 25 years, and they had nine children. So he's very successful. He's got his own business. He is married. He has children. He, he's, he's not doing anything wrong, as you guys can see so far. He holds two jobs. He had no criminal record other than a misdemeanor charge stemming from a barroom fight. He did not have no history of violence at all. He was known in the community because he was having an affair with a white woman whose name was Karen Kelly and because one of his sons had also married a white woman at the time. Both McMillan and the attorney that he had in 1987, J.L. Chestnut, contended that Mr. McMillan's relationships alone had made him a suspect. So you guys have to think this is back this is back in the day, right? So this is not it's just not really something that people which is so stupid right because we're in 2022 now but people didn't accept that they didn't like that they thought that was wrong they did not think that was okay so him having this relationship and this affair with this white woman already like put a target on his back in a sense in a prison interview in 1993 mcmillan said the only reason i'm here is because i had been messing around with a white lady and my son married a white lady 18-year-old Rhonda Morrison, who was a white, dry cleaning clerk, was murdered at Jackson's Cleaners on November 1, 1986, in Monroe, Alabama. She had been shot numerous times from behind. At the time of her murder, Walter McMillan was at a church fry with dozens of witnesses, one of whom which was a police officer. So Walter, like I mentioned, had no prior felony convictions. He was clean, businessman, family man. He was arrested by newly elected Sheriff Tom Tate, who was under pressure to find a suspect. He was arrested in June 1987. In what the New York Times described as an extraordinary move, Walter was immediately sent to Alabama's death row in Holman State Prison, Atmore, which is usually reserved for convicted murderers awaiting execution. He remained there pre-trial for 15 months. So already, y'all arrested the wrong fucking person, and y'all know that. You just want a fucking suspect. And two, you're going to send him straight to somewhere where only people go when they're awaiting execution. Like... McMillan had explained to Sheriff Tate shortly after his arrest. He was at a fish fry on the morning of November 1st. Tate replied, I don't give a damn what you say or what you do. I don't give a damn what your people say either. I'm going to put 12 people on a jury who are going to find your goddamn black ass guilty. So already it's like, you already, this is just, this is a heartbreaking story because it's like everybody knew from the beginning that this man was innocent. He was literally being set the fuck up and they got away with it. They literally got away with it, which we see in so many other cases and so many other fucking stories, right? But it's like, what? Like, what? What? on december 11th 1987 walter mcmillan and ralph bernard myers who was a career criminal were jointly indicted walter was charged with the two-count indictment for the offense of murder made capital because it was committed during a robbery in the first degree and the jury recommended a life sentence myers pleaded guilty as a conspirator in the murder and received a 30-year prison term which is like of course he did right like let's let's give the white man not the not the um life the de- the death row sentence but the life imprisonment like that's fine he was a conspirator like shut the fuck up y'all are so ignorant like the trial began on august 15th 1988 judge robert e lee key jr had mcmillan await trial on death row as if death as if a death sentence were a foregone conclusion and relocated the trial from a county that was 40% black to an overwhelmingly white community. Baldwin County, where 86% of the residents were white because the case had generated extraordinary publicity, he said. McMillan was represented by attorney J.L. Chestnut at the time. So yeah, he takes his trial and he just decides, you know what, we're going to fucking move it somewhere. 86% white. Now there's fourteen percent black people, and most of the people on the jury are probably gonna be white, right? And he knows that. This judge knows that. So he's it's all purposeful stuff, as we can all see and as we all know, but it's just fucking sick to read and sick to watch and ugh. The trial lasted only a day and a half. On August seventeenth, nineteen eighty-eight, the jury of eleven white people and one black man. Found McMillan guilty on the capital offense charged in the indictment and recommended a life sentence based on the testimony of four state informants found by the prosecution Ralph Myers, who I mentioned was already a career criminal, Bill Hooks Jr., Joe Hightower, and one other person. Two of the witnesses claimed to have seen Walters' low rider in quotations, truck outside the dry cleaner's office around the time that the crime had occurred. The jury ignored multiple alibi defense witnesses, who were also black, who testified under oath that he was at a fish fry at the time of the crime. There was no physical evidence of implicating McMillan no physical proof it was all circumstantial and not even circumstantial right because when we're speaking on circumstantial evidence in most cases there's still something tied to where it's like tied to the case or to the story or to the person the suspect that it's like okay well this makes sense like this makes sense this is circumstantial there might not be any physical or dna proof but this ties you to this right like you there's no way that you can explain this kind of thing that's usually what circumstantial evidence is but there's no circumstantial evidence even here like there's no physical evidence and there's no circumstantial evidence you're all just making a rumor like it's literally a fucking rumor and it got taken as actual credible evidence like it fucking baffles me that any of the like any of this gets as far as it does or did like and it's just sick it makes me sick to be quite frank it makes me fucking sick six years after the original trial in an unrelated case the alabama court of criminal appeals found that the prosecutor district attorney theodore pearson and judge key had practiced intentional racial discrimination and jury selection On September 19, 1988, Judge Robert E. Lee Key, Jr. overruled the jury's recommendation of a life sentence and imposed the death penalty. Judge Key remarked that Walter McMillan deserved to be executed for the brutal killing of a young lady in the first full flower of adulthood, which is just creepy to even say that, right? Like, what are you, you fucking creep? Like, you you need to be locked up for fucking saying that. Like, that's weird that you even fucking described a young lady like that, you fucking weirdo. You fucking old white creep. This practice, which him basically overruling, because the jury, like I mentioned, imposed um, a life imprisonment sentence. And he overrules it. He says, nah, fuck all that. Death row. This is called judicial override, which allows elected trial judges to override jury verdicts of life and imposed death sentences. According to the Equal Justice Initiative of, a, of Montgomery, Alabama, no capital sentencing procedure in the United States has come under more criticism as unreliable, unpredictable, and arbitrary than the judge override. Since then, the frequency of the judge override has come under scrutiny. Nearly 70 Alabama judges have single-handedly ordered an inmate's execution, and collectively, they have done so more than 100 times. So let me read that for you again. Since then, the frequency of the judge override has has come under scrutiny. Nearly 70 Alabama judges have single-handedly ordered an inmate's execution, and collectively they have done so more than 100 times. 36 of the nearly 200 convicts on death row are there because of an override. Because the judge said, no, fuck what the jury is talking about. I don't like this guy. I'm racist, I'm hateful, whatever the case may be, fuck what the jury's talking about, send them to death row. That is an insane amount, guys. I just want you to take that in. Rewind if you need to, but take that in. In November 1988, 28 year old attorney Brian Stevenson. We love you, Brian. We love you. A Harvard Law student and Harvard School of Government graduate, who was the director of the newly formed Alabama Capital Representation Resource Center in Montgomery, he takes on this case. When he visits Walter in prison, Walter maintains his innocence. Brian was motivated to take Walter's case because of the use of the judge override. So after Brian decides to take the appeal, he gets a phone call from Judge Key, discouraging Brian to take the case at all. In a 2015 NPR interview, National Public Radio, for those of you that don't know, Brian described how that phone call was a very, very bizarre start to his career and that the work he was doing in Alabama. So Brian then visits Walter's community and he says that he meets dozens of people in the black community who were with this condemned man at the time the crime took place 11 miles away who absolutely knew Walter was innocent. From 1990 to 1993, the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals turned down four appeals. Walter's conviction and death sentence were affirmed on an appeal in 1991 in McMillan v. State. So following his own trial and sentencing, Ralph Myers, who is the person that testified against Walter in the original trial, he tells, he tells McMillan's trial counsel that the testimony that he gave against Walter was false. Myers confessed that he knew nothing about the crime, he was not present when the crime was committed, that he had been told what to say by certain law enforcement officers, and that he had tested falsely against McMillan because of pressure from the officers. Walter's attorneys from the Equal Justice Initiative filed a petition for a new trial, alleging various constitutional violations, including that a key state witness had recanted his testimony, that the conviction had been obtained by, purged, by a perjured testimony, and that the evidence of perjury was newly discovered. The petition also alleged that the state of Alabama had violated his constitutional rights by withholding impeachment information. In 1992, the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals in McMillan v. State denies the claim by McMillan's attorneys. On February 23, 1993, in Walter McMillan v. State, In the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals, all judges concurred that the state suppressed impeachment evidence that had been requested by the defense, thus denying the due process of law, requiring the reversal of his conviction and death sentence, and the remand of the case for a new trial. So the DA, Pearson at the time, had failed to disclose evidence to Walter's attorneys, including records from the taylor hardin Secure Medical Facility in Myers June 3rd and August 27th statements. Further investigation revealed that Walter's truck, supposedly seen by the witness at the scene of the crime, had not been converted to a low rider until 6 months after the crime took place. It also emerged that the district attorney, Theodore Pearson, had concealed evidence proving his innocence. A witness had seen the victim alive after the time when prosecutors claimed that Walter had killed her. So all of this is just being covered up, right? Like I said, he's being set up. It's all being covered up. They had all this, like, they, they're talking about all this evidence, which, like I said, circumstantial but not. But you're hiding evidence that would actually prove his innocence like you just wanted a suspect you just wanted somebody to go down for this and you just wanted a black man to go down for this that's literally what is happening Ugh, fucking fuck you Pearson fuck you dude <laughs> fuck you completely the two witnesses the two witnesses who had testified that they had seen Walter's truck retracted their testimony and admitted that they lied at trial committing perjury Walter's lawyers discovered that the prosecutors had withheld evidence and that the state's star witnesses had lied. It emerged that Sheriff Tate and investigators with the Monroe County DA's office and the Alabama Bureau and the investigation had pressured Myers into lying about Walter. In pursuing those claims, the attorneys obtained the original recording of Myers' confession— after listening to it, they flipped the tape over and discovered a recorded conversation in which Myers complained bitterly that he was being forced to implicate Walter, whom he did not know, for a crime neither of them had any role in. Upon discovery of this evidence, District Attorney Thomas Chapman, who had represented the state and McMillan's previous appeals, told Stevenson, I want to do everything I can so that your client will not have to spend a single day more than he already has on death row. I feel sick about the six years that Walter has spent in prison and the part that I played in keeping him there. On February 23, 1993, in his fifth appeal to the Alabama Court of Criminal Appeals, the judges ruled 5-0 to reverse McMillan's conviction and grant him a new trial. Walter's attorney then filed a motion to dismiss all charges. The following week on March 2nd, Circuit Court Judge Pamela W. Bashab ruled on the motion dismissing all charges against Walter McMillan. Chapman, who did not prosecute the original case in 1987, joined the defense in seeking to have the charges against McMillan dismissed. However, Chapman did not agree that there had been a deliberate effort to frame McMillan. He claimed that Walter's exoneration proved that the system worked. Brian Stevenson disagreed, telling the court that it was far too easy to convict this wrongfully accused man for murder and send him to death row for something that he didn't do, and much too hard to win his freedom after proving his innocence. Which absolutely, absolutely right. Like Chapman, good for you for being, you know, like, okay, like cool, let's let's fucking, let's get him out, let's get him out, Let's prove he's innocent. But for you to say that this was not a deliberate like setup, like a deliberate framing, Like, come on, don't be ignorant. Don't be part of the problem. Like, don't, you can't, you can't be lukewarm. You know what I'm saying? You can't say, oh, I want to help, but I don't see what you're talking about. That's not how things work. That's why we still are where we are in 2022, because a lot of people are like that. They're just fucking lukewarm. After returning to his family in the hometown of Monroe, Walter filed a civil lawsuit against state and local officials, including the three men in charge of investigating the Morrison murder. Tom Tate, the sheriff of Monroe County, Larry Eichner, an investigator with the district attorney's office in Monroe County, and Simon Benson, who was an investigator with the Alabama Bureau of Investigation, for his wrongful prosecution and conviction. It was appealed to the United States Supreme Court, which ruled against Walter, holding that a county sheriff could not be sued for monetary damages. Subsequently, Walter settled out of court with other officials for an undisclosed amount. Walter's case served as a catalyst for Alabama's compensation statute, which was passed in 2001. And I'll read that to you guys. So the exoneree compensation. In order to be eligible to receive compensation for wrongful incarceration, a person must, one, have been convicted by the state of one or more felony offenses, All of which the person was innocent and have served time in prison as a result of the conviction or convictions. Or two, have been incarcerated pre-trial on a state felony charge for at least two years through no fault of his or her own before having charges dismissed based on innocence. Minimum of $50,000 for each year of incarceration. So that was effective in 2001. Walter later developed dementia believed to have been brought on by the trauma of his imprisonment. He died on September 11, 2013. In the fall of 1992, McMillan's case received national attention, like I mentioned, in 60 Minutes. It was pointed out that Monroe, Alabama, was best known as the home of Harper Lee, whose To Kill a Mockingbird, told a painful story of race and justice in the small town Jim Crow South. A 2017 article in the New York Times echoed the similarities and drew attention to the fact that Sheriff Tate had been elected seven times since the McMillan case and is in his third decade in office. If you're listening and you don't see a problem with the system, this is what they do. Like this dude was proved to have been corrupt and he's on he's been elected seven times. Are you fucking kidding me? go look at every police fucking station in america and you tell me if there's not at least a couple people that that is the exact same storyline for them the exact same fucking storyline walter's story was featured in a 1995 book entitled circumstantial evidence death life and justice in a southern town by former washington post journalist pete early the 2019 film Just Mercy dramatizes Walter's case and stars Jamie Foxx as Walter McMillan, Michael B. Jordan as Brian Stevenson, with direction by Destin Daniel Cretton. And the whole movie, like I mentioned, was based on Stevenson's 2014 book Just Mercy, a story of redemption, a story of justice and redemption. Yeah, and that was... Walter's case like I said if you guys haven't read that book or seen that movie go do both of them go read the articles I reference. I mean this whole entire story is just heartbreaking and awful and like just a fucking testament to show that like fuck the system fuck 12 fuck all y'all to be honest with you and if you're still sticking up for them fuck you too like I mean it's just insane like from beginning to end like this man was clearly innocent had no blood on his hands whatsoever and they just created the narrative that they wanted to for this fucking man and they took his life from him like i mean he was in there six years but then he had health problems from being in there like being traumatized and it's just like it breaks my heart it really breaks my heart so i just wanted to read some statistics for you guys as well um I got this National Geographic, and it speaks a little bit about innocent people being on death row. There are some other stories in here about other black men that have been wrongfully incarcerated um, for crimes that they did not commit that are actually pretty interesting and heartwarming and heartbreaking all at the same time. So maybe on another episode I will read some of you those to you guys, but I just wanted to read some of the statistics that they included in this National Geographic regarding mass incarceration and death row. Since 1973, more than 8,700 people have been sentenced to death and more than 1,500 people have been executed. 182 people that have been exonerated, 94 of them were black, 69 of them were white, 17 of them were Latino. One of them was Asian, and one of them was Native American. So just to give you a percentage as to why these people were exonerated, there's, this is the reason for exoneration. 68% official misconduct. 68% official misconduct. Almost all of these people that have been exonerated, 68% of that was because of official misconduct. Do I need to say that again? 62% perjury or false accusations, 29% misleading forensic evidence, 25% inadequate legal defense, 19% mistaken witness identification, 13% false confession. So the top three on here are all because of officials guys like do we are we all on the same page like these people that are being locked up and sentenced to death row and spending most of their life there like if that doesn't make you want to fucking scream then you're listening to the wrong podcast like i i don't know what to tell you like that's fucking insane these numbers these statistics the percentages all the way down like that's heartbreaking fucking heartbreaking (sighs) again that was from a national you guys see what I mean like at the beginning of the podcast I'm like so hype right you know I'm ready to get into this and then by the end I'm fucking pissed off and I want to write a fucking letter to every fucking police department in the United States of America (laughs) like I don't know it just makes me so mad that like this stuff was able to happen to people when you go back and you read the story and it's like from day one, you knew something wasn't right. And they're purposely creating the narratives and placing these people where they want them so that they can do these things to them and take their life from them. Like you let whoever actually did murder that girl go the f- go Go how long was he ever arrested? I don't know because I was more worried about the black man that was wrongfully convicted so, was the dude ever arrested? I don't know. I have no fucking idea. But you still spent so much time trying to convict Walter that you never even gave a fuck about who actually murdered the girl. You didn't. You really didn't. It. And it's pitiful. Because you did all of this, what? Because a white woman died? But you didn't actually care who killed her. You just wanted somebody to rot for it. And you wanted to look like you did your job. And you did it. Ugh. Okay. I could just I could just keep going. <laughs> I could just keep going on this, but, um, yeah. Go watch the book, or go watch the book. Go watch the movie with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. They both did a phenomenal fucking job in the movie. Um, and yeah, get the book by Brian Stevenson. Just a lot of powerful information in there. A lot of statistics. A lot of things that I probably never would have known. So. Go check that out. I'm sure you can get that on, like, Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or wherever, but <sighs> let me know if you guys have any other wrongful incarceration cases that you want me to talk about, you want me to get on here and yell about, <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it, but it just fucking breaks my heart, you guys, that I know that this is, like, a different time, and it, but it doesn't matter. Like, it's fucking disgusting, and it's fucking awful that we still see this like in our justice system to this day we still see the same thing we still see sheriffs and different people getting reelected and made chiefs of police or whatever the fuck and they've been proved over and over again to be racist and hateful and fucking disgusting pigs but it just keeps happening so it pisses me off it really fucking sets a fire in my fucking blood (laughs) alright um god I'm so mad after all that like I don't even know what to say I need to hit my fucking vape and take a sip of my tequila <sighs> breaks my fucking heart breaks my heart and I, I hate that like all these other podcasts don't talk about shit like this like they just keep doing the cases everybody talks about and it's like no let's let's talk about where the police really fucked up let's talk about where they really didn't do their fucking job which is almost every fucking case but let's really break it down for what it looks like when somebody is fucking framed this story is a perfect example of that, like, okay, well, thank you guys for listening to me rant, um, before I end this off, let me talk about, I don't know, not, I don't know, my brain is kind of frazzled, I feel like I always want to like, end the podcast on a good note, but my brain is fucking frazzled, (laughs) let me say one thing I'm thankful for I'm thankful for you guys Um, getting on here and just having an audience that one supports me but listens to me talk my shit and sometimes I be a little all over the place and you guys still listen to the very end so thankful for you guys Um, I think there's gonna be a lot of cool things coming in 2022 and I'm just so happy that you guys will be a part of that with me so damn i've been recording for an hour already let me get the fuck off this shit all right i love you guys um please check out the instagram at suspect podcast go give that a follow i post about all the episodes anything new coming to the podcast you can also follow my personal instagram at katie underscore kennedy k-e-n-n-e-d-d-y um i post all kinds of shit on there i don't know i post all kinds of shit on there but a lot of you have followed me there so thank you for that If you are listening on Apple Podcast, please take three seconds, click on the podcast, scroll to the bottom, leave me a review, give me five stars if you think I'm wonderful, Um, tell me what you don't like, tell me what you do like. I'm all for constructive criticism, so I've gotten some of that and I appreciate the feedback and I really appreciate the positive feedback as well, so Please make sure you guys do that. It takes like two seconds, and it helps grow the audience a lot. So, again, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check out the book, check out the movie, um, and until the next episode. I'll see you guys then. Go Rams. Go Euphoria. Oh, speaking of.